0: this morning 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says concerning the coming of our lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him we ask you brothers and sisters not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us whether by a prophecy or by word of mouth or by letter asserting that the day of the lord has already come don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or his worship, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, holds it back, will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and will destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our Gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word. We're looking today at standing firm in the truth. We can all get blown away. And I've just got a little video here for Jackson to show us just to show how we can be moved and blown We're in Grand Nova Scotia. This is home of the Sweat Winds. Southeasterly, they're more easterly right now, gusting uh, about 170 kilometers per hour. You can't quite look the wind in the face because your face gets sandblasted. Huh? Yeah, you know it's, it's it's very much the only storm I can uh, compare this to is hurricanes. Definitely out in the middle of the wind blast of a hurricane. This is what you would feel, but with this has the added bonus of having the snow in the air. So as soon as your face is exposed to it, it's like, it's just feeling like you're standing in a sand blaster. And it's actually very dangerous because you have the added bonus of frostbite. So this is a big problem. This is why we are, are very well done up right now. Now we're fine. One thing I noticed too, Mark, is that it's actually, I don't know if it's sunny, not quite, but the sky is getting brighter, and we thought that the precipitation is easing up, but the winds are getting stronger. So we've got a couple more hours of this before things settle down. Back to you. Okay. So the weather reporters sometimes have it hard. Um, but storms of all kinds come into our lives. These guys were experiencing a physical, a winter storm, a, a blizzard, that, and that was uh, down east somewhere a couple years ago. But you see how they were blown away. They were, not be, they were not able to stand firm in the storms of life. And that storm that they were experiencing in the midst of all that turmoil, they were unable to, uh, to stand firm. And yet, this is what Paul is encouraging all of us through this word in, uh, in the book of 2 Thessalonians, to stand firm. To keep that firm foundation. To be able to stand solidly and to hold on. Because storms come into all of our lives. We all have problems at times. We all have difficulties and challenges. Health issues crop up. We face a, the loss of a job. Financial disaster comes along. Sometimes out of our control. I'm sure some of you here remember economic downturns in 2001 and 2008 where uh, through no fault of your own you found yourself all of a sudden with uh, maybe a little bit or significantly less resources than you thought you had a few days ago. Sometimes the storms that come into our life come because of our own decisions, our own bad decisions that we made. Sometimes they come because of outside influences on us trying to move us in a certain direction and it's not a a healthy or a good one. Sometimes things happen to us that are totally out of our control. I don't know if you heard this week, there was an Argentinian mountain climber uh, up in the Yukon climbing, climbing Mount Logan and she was a very experienced mountain climber and it's not a particularly difficult climb. And so it should have been, she was climbing on her own. It should have been fine. I don't know if you heard this story. There was an earthquake and all of a sudden, the landscape around her changed. And she didn't know what was stable, what was unstable, what land was stable, what, the, what rock formations now were stable, what uh, snow formations were stable. And so she just uh, made camp because she felt she was in a safe place. And she, because it was totally out of her control. So she found herself stuck on Mount Logan, really with no way out, and just waiting for the weather to clear so someone could come and rescue her. So sometimes we find ourselves in those kinds of storms through no fault of our own. Through outside uh, actions, we find ourselves in times of trouble. And so Paul is talking about a specific situation here in uh, 2 Thessalonians. And we see that it says they were easily deceived. That the believers of the church in Thessalonica were easily deceived. They weren't, uh They weren't paying attention, perhaps. They became uh, unsettled, he says. They were easily unsettled or alarmed by some words that came along, and someone was reporting to them something that caused them this uh, to be, to have this subtle feeling to be uh, this. Uncertainty to feel this alarm. The specific issue here that uh, that they were talking about, and they were wrestling with, was the second coming of Christ. So someone had come along. Apparently, Paul had been teaching on this, and in fact, we see that uh, that Paul had actually uh, taught this to them. He says in verse five in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse five, "Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things?" So he's, remind, he's taking a minute here to remind them and say to them, look, you, you remember back when I was with you because I, he spent a few weeks with them and we don't know exactly how long ago that was from the time of writing the letter, but he spent a few weeks with them. Uh, he taught them some things. Presumably it was about the second coming of Jesus. And then he left. He actually then wrote the letter First Thessalonians and that too talked about uh, the second coming of Christ. So he had... Mentioned this and spoken to, them. and uh, then he says that then some other teachings had come along, and seems to have deceived them. And so he has to write to them again and explain this one more time, his understanding of what's going to happen. So the specific issue here is the second coming of Christ. The early church expected this was going to happen any day now. They were there and they were expecting that any day. We could have Jesus could come back, and this would all wrap up. All of life would, would wrap up. They were to, so they had talked about it. Paul had talked about it when he was there. He had written about it in his first letter. Apparently, he had heard back from them something in between. The, after the, he wrote the first letter, somehow he had received some communication from them. There was still some concern, and so he writes them again to uh, uh, to try and uh, counter this false teaching. That had come in among them. We don't know exactly what that source was. He he just says uh, uh, not to become so uneasily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposedly to come from us. So it's not even clear in Paul's mind exactly what happened there. Whether it was someone else had wrote a letter or there was some teaching, Paul doesn't know. But somehow uh, somebody had come uh, to them, claiming to be Paul and giving this false teaching. And they were deceived by that. We don't have the same concern uh, for the second coming today. But there are other issues that come along uh, that we may find ourselves in similar situation. Somehow for us, for the second coming of Christ, is just not that big an issue. Uh, I suppose after 2,000 years or more of waiting for Jesus to come back and uh, He still hasn't, uh, that that urgency in our minds, that uh, thinking that any day now he's going to come back kind of fades because we're sort of like, well, he, we've, he hasn't come back in, for 2,000 years. What's the chance he's going to come back tomorrow? Uh, we, don't, we don't know. And so it kind of fades. But there are other things that maybe we wrestle with, that we need to be cautious, that we don't fall into that same uh, Sense of being deceived, by, we need to follow and hold on to the teaching that we have. But in this discussion, just to 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 talk about it, in this in this discussion of the second coming of Christ, there's a couple of main questions. The first question is, who is this man of lawlessness that he uh, mentions a number of times here? He talks about this uh, uh, this man of lawlessness come and this man will come, uh, this man is doomed to destruction, and he gives some of the ideas that will go along with that at that time. It's probably, this man of lawlessness is probably the same person that uh, the Apostle John refers to in his letters, and he refers to him as the Antichrist, which is probably a term we're more familiar with. The descriptions and the actions and the behavior of the Antichrist and the man of lawlessness seem to be uh, the same. So they're pointing to the same person, even though we uh, might be using two different terms. Paul is using man of lawlessness. John is using Antichrist. We don't need to look for two people, but just understand that's one person. And the word Antichrist perhaps is a word that's easier for us to understand. It's Antichrist. So, he is against Christ. So, everything that Christ is for, the Antichrist is going to be against. The Christ brings life. The Antichrist brings death and destruction. The Christ brings hope. The Antichrist brings despair. Everything that Christ comes in love The Antichrist comes in hate. The the Antichrist is opposite. It's Antichrist. That's easy for us to grab a hold of. And he says, the Antichrist, this man of lawlessness, will be proclaiming himself to be God. Many have suggested, who is the, tried to answer this question, who is this man of lawlessness going to be? Who is the Antichrist? There's been all sorts of interesting suggestions over the years. One interesting one going back to 1689, a group of Baptists gathered in London and that was before our branch of of Baptists were formed. But years ago in 1689, a group of Baptists gathered together in London, England, came up with a very long confession of faith and in one small part of that confession of faith, it identifies the Antichrist as the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. And that comes up from time to time and probably every time a uh, a new Pope comes along. And people say, oh, this is the Antichrist. Interestingly, many have uh, suggest pretty much every president of the United States that has come along is the Antichrist. And we're looking for him. Those of us with, with, who are a little bit older and longer memories may remember Mikhail Gorbachev, the whatever president of Russia or the Soviet Union at the time. And for a long time, he was going to be Antichrist. Uh, for those of us with long memories as well, Henry Kissinger. Anybody remember Henry Kissinger? There's a few of us older people. Remember, if you're you're a history buff, you know Henry Kissinger. He was the Secretary of State for a while. He was the Antichrist. Hitler was supposed to be the Antichrist. So, all of these suggestions are for who is the Antichrist. And of course, none of them seem to exactly fit. So, we're left with the question, who is this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist? And I'm not going to tell you who he is, because I don't know. But you can see the kind of things that he does. And so we know, that, we know at least that much about Him. The second question is, when is He going to come? Paul gives us all kinds of signs that go along with Him and the things that will happen. How He's going to oppose, exalt Himself over everything that is called God. Set Himself up in God's temple. He's going to proclaim He is God. There's all kinds of things going to happen. Uh, there's... Um, rebellion opposing God, claiming to be God, counterfeit miracles, all sorts of evil things happening. Uh and it's helpful to look and to say, well these are the signs of the antichrist coming, but still we don't uh, we don't really know. And again, there's lots of speculation about when this antichrist is going to come. And there have been throughout the, the millennials since millennium since this time of this passage was written. There's all kinds of suggestions. You can even go on Wikipedia and look at, uh, they have a page called Predictions and Claims for the Second Coming of Christ. There's a Wikipedia page and it lists a whole bunch of projections that people have made in the past uh, of when uh, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, is going to come. And, of course, none of them uh, happened. But then there's a section there that goes on and describes one in the future. So there's people still trying to predict when the man of lawlessness comes. I think we might do better just to heed and listen to the words of Jesus. He tells us, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven or the sun, but only the Father. Only the Father knows. It's pointless, I think, for us to even try and and ask that question. There is no answer. We can look for the signs And we will know it, I think, for sure when we see it, but trying to predict that day, that's something that only our Father in Heaven knows. So instead of spending our time and energy trying to answer that question, we would do better just to serve Him every day with the gifts and abilities and the time and the opportunities that God gives us than trying to dream of when this man of lawlessness is coming. But these were questions uh, that were there that that are still with us today. And in search for those answers, sometimes uh, they can, uh, we can be deceived. And so here is a specific situation where the church was, uh, was deceived as they're looking for answers. This is teaching specifically about the second coming. But we always need to be careful. In any question that we have, we need to hold on to the Word of God and say, what does it say? if there's conflict between things that we're hearing and what the Bible has to say, we need to be careful so that we are not deceived along the way as well, the way the church at Thessalonica was. We're we're not any smarter or godly or wiser than those believers in that day. So we shouldn't think that we won't fall into those traps because we may uh, well fall into those very same things that the church in Thessalonica did. So it's a little bit of a warning to us, just to be careful, because they were deceived, and we can be too. The second point Paul makes here as he's uh, talking to them about an, an early, uh, about the, the earlier teaching, he makes uh, another point to them as he's, as he's reminding them of an early teaching, and he says, the truth leads to life. Paul tells us that people perish. Because they don't love the truth. We see that in verse 10. Paul says, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. If they love the truth, they would embrace it with all of their heart, with all of their soul and all of their strength and all of their mind. They would hold on to it and they would experience eternal life through that truth. If you miss out on the truth, you're going to miss out on eternal life. So, that deception that had occurred may have serious consequences because it was leading the people away from the truth. It wasn't leading them to the truth. And so, that is something that we need to take seriously. What is, uh, that are, are the things that we're listening to, are they deceiving us? Are they leading us to the truth? To life? Or are they leading us away? And the deception that happens is not necessarily uh, a simple one of, me- of maybe a bit of money gets lost or a bit of time wasted. But it has eternal consequences. Paul uses strong words there like powerful delusion, being condemned, delighting in wickedness. This is a serious matter about truth and deception. But as we read this and as we look at this passage, Paul talks about people who are deceived. That, that others have come in to actively deceive the church. And you might say, wait, that's, that's, that's not fair. That if I'm deceived and I'm led astray by someone else, why is that my fault? Shouldn't it be the fault of the one who's leading me astray. If a powerful delusion comes along, if a deceiver is out there to, to misdirect us and to misguide us, how can we be held responsible? And the answer is the same. Whether it's in our society here today or uh, when we look at, at what Paul is talking about, the answer is the same. We are responsible for our decisions. If we go, if we make a mistake and we go into a uh, and we're led astray, we go into a court of law and, and they say, Well, you know, it's his fault. He told me to do it. The judge will say, Okay, that might be a factor, but it's still your responsibility. You're responsible for your actions. And it's the same with God. He's saying, you know, even if you even if there is someone who deceives you, you are still responsible. You need to make sure that that you actively filter those influences and factors in life, because ultimately we will be responsible for the decisions we make. This is a hard reality of life that we face. And that truth leads us to life. So if we follow that truth, it will lead us to life. If we're not deceived, we will be, have that eternal life. We will hold on to that. Sometimes we need a bit of encouragement and help though. And I think that's one of the things that we can do in community. As we reach out, we help each other to not be deceived. This is this is community. This is part of what we do as a community as we come together and we look for truth together. And we have that courage to say to someone else that we know, as we see perhaps them being deceived, we say, wait a minute, are you sure you're on the right track? I have a couple of mentors who I meet with regularly and they're great guys and they are more than willing to say to me, Gilbert, you're making a mistake. You shouldn't be doing that. They can be that firm, and straight with me, that they can say, look, you're on a bad track. You need to rethink that decision. And that's great that you have, that we have those sorts of people in our lives. And the Bible talks about this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. In Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, Paul says, if if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So this is part of what we should be doing as community, is helping one another to find that truth, to be walking in the truth. It's an individual responsibility that each one of us have but a strong community helping to support and encourage one another in a positive way can help us all to find that truth. Now, there's a good question to be asked there. What is the truth? That's a great question and that's one for another sermon. Uh, But again, we can go to Jesus and He says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except through Me. Jesus is the truth that we're looking for. The truth that leads to life. Jesus is that life-giving truth. Then the third thing we see here is that encouragement that Paul gives to stand firm in the truth. So after we have have recognized that we can be deceived and acknowledge that there is truth and that's what we need to be looking for in our lives, then we need to stand firm. Not like those guys in the video that were being blown about by the wind and the storm, but we stand firm and hold fast to that truth that's been passed on to us. We don't have Paul here to help us, but we have his words. And he encourages us to stand firm in that truth. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. The Holy Spirit is there to help us. We often don't talk much about the, the Holy Spirit um, Funny happened there. Um, we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit, but the, we have the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit helps us. And in John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you in all truth. So it's the work of the Spirit to guide us into truth. And then we stand firm. Once we have that, then that truth, that we stand firm. And yet, it isn't easy to stand firm in the truth. Paul tells the church in Ephesus that the people have different gifts to be building up the body of Christ. Ultimately, so that the body can become mature, can be grown and strong. And he says, attain the full measure of Christ. And then in verse 14, he says, then we will no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunningness and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. So it's not just the church at Thessalonica that faced this, but the church at Ephesus as well that faced this kind of problem. And Paul says, no, you need to grow up and be mature in the faith. Attain the full measure of Christ and that helps us stand and not be blown about by winds of doctrine. And sometimes it's outside teachers that blow us off course. These ones who come along and he talks about the cunningness and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming, so it's those false teachers that can blow us off course. Sometimes, though, we're our own worst enemies. Sometimes we actually lead ourselves astray. There can be outside forces, but even in our own minds, we can be led astray. We can uh, follow our own desires. So Paul writes to his disciple Timothy, and he warns him in Second Timothy chapter two verses. Uh, or chapter four, verses three and four. He says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrines. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Sometimes we go looking. We want uh, something that's pleasing, a message that's pleasing to our ear. Sometimes it's hard to hear what the Bible has to say. I have a friend who wrote a book that said he wanted to entitle it Ten Things I Hate About Jesus. The publisher said, you can't have that as your title of your book. So he changed it. It says it was basically ten hard things that Jesus has to say. Jesus has lots of difficult things to say to us. Love your enemies. Care for those who are needy. Be humble. Be kind. Put God first in your life. These are all things that are hard to do. And so we go around looking for other things instead of that. Instead of following what God wants, we follow what our itching ears want to hear. We go looking for someone who will tell us what we want to hear instead of telling us the truth. And so we ourselves, in a way, lead us ourselves astray. And we need to be careful of doing that, or of not doing that, that we are in that danger. So, in the midst of all of that, in the midst of those pressures and influences, we need to be able to stand firm in the truth. And one of the best ways to stand firm in truth is to simply be aware of it. Think about those guys on the video. You know, they're aware of the of the wind that's blowing and they kind of brace themselves and stand in a way that 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 provides them the support they need to fight the wind. If you think about yourself on a bus, you know, if the if you know the bus is going to start moving, you you grab on to the railings because you know you need to to hold on. You can be thrown off course. But one of the easy ways to prevent that is to, to be aware that you can be thrown off and then to hold on to that. That is true. A few years ago, I had uh, well, I always have dental work done. I don't have very good teeth, but uh, but a few years ago, I was having some dental work done, and uh, it was fillings that I had done. I had uh, when I was a teenager, and they had been in for for a num- number of years, and so they needed to be replaced. And Some of you maybe had that lovely experience of having the old ones drilled out and new ones put in, and then so anyway, I'm in the dentist's chair. And uh, he's he's cleaning out one of the old fillings. It was down in the lower right, one of my molars. He he's almost done, and then and then all of a sudden I jump, and he's like, "What happened?" I said, "Wow, you hit something. That was really painful." And he said, "Okay, um, well let's let's give you another injection." So he he puts another one in, waits a few minutes, he goes back in there, same thing happens. He says, "Hmm." Okay, sometimes there's a nerve that runs across your palate. So let me give you another injection up there to see if we can numb that. So he sticks a needle. Yeah, some of you are grimacing. Sorry about this story. Um, so he sticks a needle up my palate. I think it feels like it's going in my brain, right? Yeah, I don't know if any of you ever had that. So he pumps some anesthetic. Okay, now my whole mouth is numb. I think okay, it's got to. It's this has got to do it. So he gets back. Same thing. He's like, ooh, that didn't work. So he. <laughs> So he sits back in his chair and he says, Gilbert, we've got a couple of choices here. He says, I can put a temporary filling in. He says, I can't do any more. I don't have time. I've got other patients. He says, I can put a temporary filling in. You can come back. We can do this under general. He says, or, he says, if you promise you won't bite me and you think you can handle it, he says, I only need about five or ten seconds in there to clean it out. He says, if you promise not to bite me and you hang on, I can get this thing done while you're here. I said, let's do this. And he he says, you promise you won't bite me? And I said, no, I I won't. And he says, okay, you do whatever you need to do to get ready. And we'll get ready and I'll tell you. And so I hung on to the the arms of the chair and he looked at me again. He said, you're not going to bite me, right? I said, no, no, I think I got it. And, and he said, "You ready?" And I said, "I'm ready." And he went in there and he cleaned that thing out. But boy, I tell you, there were tears coming out of my eyes. But it helped. It was better when I knew, and I was prepared. That's the whole point there. I could, <laughs> I could handle it when I was ready. And and we got all ready. And I knew what was coming. I was and because I was ready. I could put. I could do it. And that's the same in our in our life, and with a, with with following Christ. When we're ready for those storms in life, when we acknowledge that they may come along, and we're standing firm, and we know that they may be there, and we're looking for them, we can we can prepare ourselves. We can be ready. We can be ready for them. So we need to make the effort to stand firm, to look for the truth. And to make sure sure that we are aware that we uh, we can be deceived so that we're looking for those sorts of things so that we can stand firm. We can hold on to the thought that Paul gives to the church at Thessalonica. It's our Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father that gives us encouragement, hope, and strengthening as He ends this passage here. That's the Word that He gives to them in all of that. He can give them hope and encouragement and strengthening to stand firm, to do all that. And it comes from Jesus. It comes from God the Father. It's not that we're holding on in our own strength, but we're holding on in the strength that that comes from God. God is at work in us, strengthening us so we can hold on. We can stand firm. And let nothing move us and nothing deceive us as we go through life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for all You've done for us. And we thank You for the, the wisdom, the strength, and the awareness that we can be deceived. Help us to not be deceived. Help us to stand firm in Your truth. And when those forces come, Lord, help us to recognize them and not be deceived. We give ourselves to You. We pray that Your Spirit would work in us, giving us strength and guidance Every step of the way, we ask in Jesus' name, Amen.